don't believe, I always think that all this bullshit about to provoke you a little bit more, this is superstitious logic. It's pure ideology. You know this ecological bullshit like... Uh... Hello, welcome to the end of the world. This is uh, Anthropocene's episode 62. Almost lost it there. And today we're talking about uh, Silent Running from 1972, directed by Douglas Trumbull. Um, I, I keep having to not say cool runnings in my head. <laughs> um, but Silent Running, uh, a sci-fi classic, apparently, starring Bruce Dern and a bunch of uh, awkward-looking robots. Yeah, which which were played by human beings, I saw in the credits. Yeah. And you can tell that it's that it's somebody sort of walking around in there. Um, a la R2-D2. Yeah. C-3PO. Yeah. But like not nearly as cool. And like, what, I don't know why you would build robots with actual legs. Yeah, I guess I didn't think about this. Uh, this and Soylent Green, uh, in our 70s sci-fi movies, kind of existing in this weird... Uh, movie space, sci-fi space between uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey and Star Wars, uh, yeah. kind of the the forgotten sci-fi. You know, you've got these canonical works uh, bookending uh, or sandwiching some lesser known, although apparently canonical, uh, sci-fi movies. Yeah. And I will say of the four movies you just mentioned, including this one, I like this movie, I guess. But it, it, as far as like the storytelling goes, it's a little bit less, I don't know, less developed, I guess. It's more, and I think part of that's it's more focused on the, the individual person. So it's focused on uh, Freeman Lowell, Bruce Dern's character. And because it has that, that sort of lone man in space trope going on. Um, yeah. It's more about like isolation and the, the effects of that as opposed to these big societal things. And most of that's kind of front ended at the beginning of the movie. And then it sort of becomes uh, this one man struggle film. Yeah. Um, one aspect I thought that was interesting just from a sort of media standpoint is I don't know if I've ever heard of or paid attention to a special effects guy. Uh, turned director so Douglas Trumbull is the famous you know effects guy who did 2001 Space Odyssey and uh, more recently uh, The Tree of Life I think he did Blade Runner uh, in the 80s and so it, it, it really <clears throat> not that this movie is bad but it's nowhere near as compelling to me as say 2001 Space Odyssey it's really interesting to see someone who's clearly at the cutting edge of effects and what impact they have on an overall movie because 2001 is just has this gravitas to it and and you can really see it really makes you respect Kubrick more uh, because you see that whatever he's doing is and whatever he achieves in 2001 is not just because he has the coolest toys because it's the same guy, uh, you know, with the same knowledge and skill set. And 2001 feels like, you know, important and, and 
mysterious and silent running is just kind of campy and you know it's 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 not trying to be as serious but it just uh you really feel uh it really makes you feel the uh director's presence uh, by comparing those two movies yeah it's almost like I said a lot of the the big sort of societal commentary stuff is front loaded at the beginning and after the big sort of action sequence with uh you know the other crew members being killed and all that sort of stuff um it sort of all that stuff fades away and seems a little bit more flippant I guess than than you expect it to be you expect it to be some sort of like have some sort of big meaningful statement and then more or less becomes about you know, Lowell trying to deal with having committed triple murder and live with these robots and stuff. Um, so it, it, I don't know how seriously it's taking those issues from the beginning, because it, at one point it kind of felt, uh, and this is right around when he murders his, his crew members, started to feel as if it's like, oh, this is a movie about a crazy tree hugger. Yeah, yeah. And, and the movie sort of lands somewhere in the middle. Because you're right, it starts off, you're like, oh, I'm on board with this guy. He's, you know, he's all about saving the forest. Cool. But then it's like, oh, we're, the filmmakers are just sort of using this kind of cliche of, like you say, a tree hugger to show the dangers of, of sort of uh, his mis- misanthropy. Um, and, and you see how much he misses these three guys that he fucking hated and hated enough to murder. Um, and, and then you see he, he has fun on the go-karts, uh, that he was previously abstaining from, uh, and presumably judging his, his acquaintances for enjoying. Uh, and so you see, it's not all that bad. You know, the, the, the modern world of progress and technology is not all bad. You see the rope, the drones are, are friendly and companionable and the go-karts are fun. And he even almost eats the shitty food that he's, you know, talking shit about at the beginning. Um, yeah. so, so it does feel like the movie starts to walk it back, but then by the end, it sort of goes back to closer to where it began with the, with the tree hugging stuff. So it's, it's almost like there's, there's good things about, uh progress um but there's bad things too yeah it's almost it, it it at times borders on that thing where it's like oh you're an environmentalist yet you use an iphone like that that sort of thing mm-hmm. um but yeah at the beginning it's very very interesting and like a i think i've made this statement about a lot of movies we've watched but i, I find myself being more interested in the world of the film as opposed to what's going on on the screen yeah like the the sort of uh, implicit context that they yeah. create for the story. Yeah. Especially with yeah, at the the very beginning that sh- the opening shot so awesome where it, he's looking out the, the window and it, it backs out outside of the ship and you see that it's an American airline ship. Yeah. It's yeah, called yeah, the yeah. Valley I, Forge. It, it did make me think of Ad Astra a little bit in, in especially that, that shot the way they depict the spaceship as, as kind of old looking mm-hmm. like it has to be in the future, but it's, it's way in the future to where this technology has existed for a long time in the future. Um, 
which is a nice touch. You know, it makes like the moon scene in Ad Astra where it's basically like a mall, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like a decrepit mall. Yeah, um, the, the the shuttle that in Ad Astra that they go to the moon on is basically like a commercial flight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't I, do you remember do they Yeah, they do. In Ad Astra they use uh, Virgin. It's yeah, like, and they they they're like flight, flight attendants. <laughs> yeah. Uh so yeah, it's it's sort of similar to that and then you have all the storage containers that are like they're not geodesic domes, but they're these weird little ball pod things and they all have yeah, different Yeah, I was logos. just waiting for uh Polly Shore to pop out. <laughs> But yeah, you have all the like the branding on them. So there's like a Coca-Cola one and all these other companies. Um, there's a Dow Chemical one. And so you have this flight that is, I guess, out for scientific reasons. And then it gets recalled for to return to commercial usage. So it's implied like this is apparently like some sort of, you know, one last chance to save... I guess plant life on earth or whatever it is. And well, they cut, they cut and run. I don't know if they're concerned about earth. I, it's really kind of foggy on yeah. the details uh, because they say there's no more plant life on earth, but they don't seem to be like mourning that fact. And I don't really understand what they're doing with all the forests in outer space. Yeah, it seems uh, ultimately, I mean, nothing, right? They they decide to cut that, whatever that program is, so they can keep profiting from these ships. Yeah, and and, and apparently there's this sort of a Marxist utopia yeah. on, on Earth. But although I would say it, it seems like it's more of like a capitalist utopia, right? Because, I mean, everything is branded, and then they say we, there's hardly any disease and yeah. no more overpopulation or something like that. And like everyone has a job, right? That that's that's really what I mean when I say Marxist. It's just an emphasis on like you get the feeling that everyone has a job, and those jars, those jobs are sort of those uh, gerbs. Those gerbs are equal. Um, uh, they're all sort of the similar, you know, non-hierarchical kind of things yeah. is, is the impression I get. But but they don't go into any detail about how that's possible, and and I feel like Earth is really in terms of the sort of symbolic story being told here, I feel like the earth doesn't really exist in the, in the symbolism or, or that the spaceship is earth. Yeah. And it, I don't know the it, it kind of, that's the only think, way it makes sense for him to care about the forests. Yeah. It kind of made me think of, they, they make it sound like a world utopia, but just based on what's in the film, you could just as easily think that, Oh, well, on Earth, America is a utopia, <laughs> and and the rest of it could just be a wasteland. We don't really know. Um, wow. Although he does say, wherever you go on the planet, it's seventy five degrees, which made me yeah, think it's like about they, they got outdoor air conditioning. <laughs> it just made me think about uh, in here in Alabama for the past. I mean, it's starting to finally cool down a little bit, but for like pretty much all of November, it's been about. 78 degrees every day well i figured it must be getting colder when you text me you were uh uh starting to enjoy the hot toddy life oh yeah that that was a that was just a a nice coincidence (laughs) it's medicine right 
I mean, yeah, grandpa's old cough medicine. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know. Like I, I'm more interested in that world, uh, that is back on earth as opposed to what's going on out in space. Although I guess that's supposed to be where, you know, space is the place where all the adventure is supposed to happen. Yeah. And like I said, it's really the only thing, um, I think we're supposed to take the spaceship as a stand-in for Earth because it's the only thing that makes the concern for the forest meaningful. Um, I just, yeah, the, it doesn't feel totally thought out. It yeah. seems the movie seems much more interested in its own kind of uh, technological gimmicks and effects. Uh, and the story just sort of seems kind of patched together with, with cliches mostly. Yeah. Because I mean, Lowell's whole thing is, Oh, we're doing this so we can reforest earth. But then when they decide to, you know, blow up all the forests, which is like, that's a whole lot of work and money to just like nuke it for no reason. Um, he, he pretty quickly abandons that and is like, I'll just stay out here with the forest. <laughs> It's yeah. like, well, I thought the whole point was to go back to Earth and fix it. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and Bruce Dern, God love him, uh, just uh, really kind of overdoes it. He oh, goes yeah. full spaceman. Yeah. The, just like a lot of his like kind of weird whispering that he does. Yeah. He's like talking under his breath. It's, it's a little strange. The more I think about this, the more I fucking hate it. I'm just like, I feel like we we got a lot out of Soylent Green, and we were kind of pleasantly surprised. And I can't help but compare them because they're so close in time and kind of aesthetic. Uh, well, in some ways, aesthetic, but uh, yeah, it's just it just was this popular? I don't know. I didn't look into like the the box office or whatever. Uh, let's see here. Oh, it looks like it broke even. Well, there you go. Budget. And, and this $1 is in like a, yeah. like the movies were a thing then. So this would have, I don't know. It, it sort of, it also, the music's terrible. That's another thing that's pretty noticeable that it'll be there you'll have extended scenes of like joan baez singing some like awful song about the children and the flowers <laughs> yeah it just kind of kind of feels tacked on and and uh like a commercial venture as opposed to a work of art um i don't i don't have a ton to say about this movie honestly uh, other than I mean, it, it it's sort of sort of reminiscent of some of the uh, other movies we've watched. Like it reminds me of Ad Astra, but it doesn't really have the same goals philosophically as Ad Astra. Um, I mean, it ends with him blowing himself up, which seems to be a thing in the '60s and '70s. Like Strange Love, two thousand one. Uh, the original ending of 2001 space obviously was was the earth being destroyed and uh and and now silent running so uh maybe there was a there was just like an apocalypse in the 
in the collective unconscious. Well, I mean, I'm, yeah, sure, right? Because it's it's you know Cold War, you know everybody's armed to the teeth with nukes. Even in this movie, you have small little like handheld nukes being used to destroy parts of the ship, and that's what he kills himself with at the end. Um, it kind of made me think of uh, I, I told you a while back I got really into like nuclear weaponry and looking at yeah reading yeah. these books about it and stuff, and and I learned about uh, Project Plowshares. Which uh, comes from the, I believe it's a Bible verse, hammer their swords into plowshares. Hmm. Is that a Bible verse? Anyway, um, anyway, they it was this plan to take nuclear weapons and use them for non-combative purposes. So like, oh, we need to, we're going to mine for diamonds or whatever. We're going to use a nuke to blow a hole out of this mountain. It, like one of the plans they had was to create a... Uh, a bay in somewhere in like Alaska. So take a place that, that has a pretty rugged coastline, nuke a big chunk out of it and make like a port out of it. <laughs> um, so, so it made me think uh, how for a long time there, people were sort of unwilling to abandon this idea of nuclear weapons. And so it was like, well, what do we do with them? How do we use them for like either, like more futuristic ways of killing people or as sort of tools for excavation and stuff like that. Yeah. And even, uh, you know, the, the, the prototype for first reformed is that Ingmar Bergman film winter light. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and instead of climate change, like the young man, Michael in first reformed, is freaking out about its nuclear war in, in winter light. Uh, so I think you, we've probably mentioned it before, but you do see a lot of parallels in, in the types of stories that get told in, in those time, in both time periods, because um, the, the fear is really just a different iteration of apocalypse. Yeah. And it, I mean, that could kind of support your idea of the the spaceship is sort of the the valley forge spaceship being a uh, metaphor for earth or like a stand-in for earth or something like that yeah. um although it's like well what's what's the the dome is that sort of i don't know <laughs> it it, yeah, it seems I... sort of confused in its messaging and at the end i guess it's meant to be hopeful where you have what is it a dewey right the the robot that he names dewey who he leaves alone on this in this dome to like keep the forest growing and take care of it but to what end is kind of the question like what's the purpose yeah the the whole time i was watching it i was like imagining a, a sequel uh where you like somebody just like some astronaut comes across this floating forest in the middle of space that would be pretty fucking freaky I mean, that's uh, a movie I would rather watch, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that sounds like something out of uh, The Fountain. Uh, yeah. I just get that image of Hugh Jackman, you know, floating through space with the tree of life. Um, yeah. You just imagine, like, somebody coming upon that and, like, Dewey is still there and he's, like, become the god of this little world. And there are, like, life forms that have evolved. <clears throat> the bunnies and the iguanas have, like, turned into humanoids and stuff like that. I would watch that shit, uh, but 
I forgot what I was going to say. Shit. <laughs> Riveting Damn content it. here. The I was just like, I was just like in the middle of the thought and then I lost it. Uh, oh, oh, just a, a surface level comparison was the uh, Interstellar and the, like the TARS robot as companion uh, is kind of similar yeah, to the, the Huey and Dewey. And how they also made those robots like unwieldy and gave them like a weird form of locomotion. Yeah, yeah. Where they have like, there's like a big block that like rocks back and forth. Yeah, and and he relies on them in both movies. The, the astronaut relies on the robot for companionship. Um, those scenes in Silent Running where where Bruce Dern's character is remembering his friends uh, in flashback and like missing them are maybe the worst scenes. Yeah. No, here's the, here's the worst scene is when Bruce Dern is talking to, I don't know who it is, ground control or whatever. And the guy's basically like, Hey, you should kill yourself. And he's like, well, I'm not sure if I'll be able to do that. And he's like, okay, we'll send a search party then. I was like, you suggested suicide before the search party? Well, in that case, I guess if you insist, that that was pretty funny. Like, and again, like maybe maybe we're meant to think this is sort of like Soylent Green. It's a future in which like suicide has become less taboo or something. Um, but that is certainly not how it reads. And like you were saying, the scenes where he's remembering the other crew members as if they were his friends when they basically treat him like shit the whole time. There's like huge assholes to him. Yeah. Um, the scene he, where he they says, like, he says, Oh, they weren't my friends, but you know, I like them. Yeah. It's just like, no, you didn't though. Like you spent your whole time like murdering them. Well, yeah. Yeah. And also before that kind of like acting holier than thou because they were idiots. And, and he's always like lecturing them about like why they should eat cantaloupe instead of whatever it was they were eating. Well, and, they don't want to be gay. Yeah, I was, that's why I texted you because there's that scene where he's eating a cantaloupe and he's like, this is real food or something like that. Another one goes like, for celibates. <laughs> it's like, ha ha, you eat, you eat cantaloupe. You don't get any. Yeah, you real got no hoes. Who fuck. Yeah, real it, men who fuck eat hungry man microwave dinners. Yeah, that we eat these little protein cubes. <laughs> that real we soak men in who water. fuck eat soylent green. That's the the advertising campaign for Soylent Green. Men who fuck eat Soylent Green. It's like uh, it's it's like a choosy moms choose Jif. Men who fuck choose Soylent Green. Uh, I do love that the this movie had one of those great sort of hallmarks of seventies or you know earlier science fiction, even like eighties and I guess nineties now science fiction movies where the technology is just like so outdated. That's kind of funny to watch it be used. Yeah. Especially the TVs, they're like the TV screens as, as computer monitors are just like, you know, things you, you couldn't find. You wouldn't even see them in a dumpster. Now they're so old. Uh, and it's, you know, cutting edge computer technology. Yeah. Basically just like a closed circuit camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when he's like programming the robots and he's using like a giant microscope to like solder their circuitry and then put it back in them so they 
Like it's it's pretty pretty great. And then he like performs surgery on a robot with a scalpel. Which is pretty pretty great. Yeah, yeah. Um, After he runs it over with the go kart, this is fo- so funny. Like, I like to imagine somebody listening to this having not seen the movie, and they're like, "What the fuck are they talking about?" Um, the all the sort of technophilia of the of this movie made me think of. Uh, in the early days of the podcast, I remember we used to bring this up all the time. The idea, uh, and I think we talked about with avatar, maybe the most egregious example, you know, can, a uh, a movie, which is a inherently technological medium critique, a society of, you know, sort of technocracy or, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, technopoly, uh, can, you know, can you make a save the forest film, uh, when film is composed of highly technological industrial parts and is inherently, you know, sort of against the message you're trying to send. This is just another example of one of those movies that kind of tries to have it both ways. Yeah. And doesn't really succeed in, in either ways. way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's, kind of amazing i don't know i i didn't dislike this movie that much until we started talking about it now i'm like yeah yeah i I know what you mean that's kind of how i feel it's like oh it's okay there's some good parts and the more i talk about it i'm just like this is a waste of time yeah and you know from a narrative standpoint we were talking before we started recording i think about how it's kind of slow and plotting at times that it's just sort of a lot of scenes that could have taken place in about two minutes and they're you know, drug out over the course of about 15 minutes, even though it's a movie that's about an hour and a half long. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was going to be over and I hit pause and it was like just an hour into the movie. I was like, Jesus Christ. And, and it's not because it's old because I watch movies, you know, that are way older than this movie often and I'm not bored by them. I watched a movie the other night called blind alley on the criterion app and it was just like super fucking cool. Um, and then it was like a remake of that one called the dark past. And, uh, it's like, it just, just because it's old doesn't mean it's going to be slow and boring. Uh, but just because it's sci-fi adventure doesn't mean it's going to be action packed and, and a thrill ride. Yeah. I think that's an, an interesting point about, science fiction because we do have that idea that it's either going to be like super fast paced, like Michael Bay explosions and craziness, or it's going to be like deeply philosophical (laughs) and, and, you know, slow and like, and very deliberate. Right. Sort of like the difference between 2001, which has a lot of big, like crazy, big famous special effects scenes, but is sort of like a slow kind of, philosophical film it takes a while to get there yeah um as opposed to like i don't know avatar (laughs) we'll go with that um yeah it's like it's like uh it's like michael bay or ingmar bergman is uh, sort of the extremes of that yeah Uh, and and it seems like we have this idea that never the twain shall meet sort of thing although there are certainly films that i think skirt that line or well walk that line i guess pretty well so like children of men, I guess you would call a sci-fi film and it feel, feels like it's kind of 
right down the middle as far as that's concerned. Yeah, plenty of action, but it's also, yeah, very thoughtful, very speculative. Yeah, and and has a lot to say about sort of the world we live in right now, right? It's very sort of kind of timeless sort of in that way, even though it's about the future and all that sort of stuff. Whereas this movie, the, the, the baseline message that you start with, which is we need to... Well, I don't even know. It's not even like a voice of, of or a message of conservation. It's more of like mourning what we've lost sort of thing, especially in Lowell's big rant. He goes on to the other guys, but right before they're like, well, let's go blow this shit up uh, and, and like don't care about it at all. Um, yeah. But it, that that sort of core message starts out like like we're saying really strongly. And you're like, yeah, I'm on board. Lowell's the good guy. And then that sort of just falls apart pretty quick. Yeah, and you think, oh, this is going to be like a cautionary tale about, you know, not being, not letting your your love of environmentalism blind you to your love of your fellow human beings, um, and it does that sort of, but uh, mostly through the go karts. It's, like, uh, it's like, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's like a, imagine um, first reformed and like right after uh, Michael kills himself, Ethan Hawke's character, whose name escapes me, Toller. Toller's like, um, Toller's like, oh, this is crazy. This has gone too far. I have to, have to stop thinking about this and go back to just appreciating my life and what God's given me. And then the movie ends. Yeah. It's like, okay, like that might be realistic, I guess. But at the same time, it's like, you're not, you're not getting anything, right? You're not asking that those next question then the next question then the next question your your children of men comments got me thinking i'm trying to think of movies that have like legitimately cool action sequences that are very philosophical or or thoughtful and i think no country for old men is a is a good example of that Um, yeah the action of that movie is like top notch like the scene the early scene where he goes back to the the scene of the shootout to give the guy water mm-hmm. and then gets chased is like so intense. Um, and yet there's, you know, there's a, a lot to be, a lot of thoughts to be had from that movie as I think we showed a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And even like, it's kind of a hallmark of a really good example of, of whatever genre it is. So even like there will be blood, when the rig blows up, like that's a pretty big, it, and the movie also kind of opens with sort of an action sequence when he falls down the, the well. Um, so even though it's not like big, crazy shootouts or anything, there's still like big physical, like action things that happen. Um, yeah. It, it pacing, pacing in movies is so sort of, seems like it would be so fickle. Like, if I were a director, that seems like the thing I would worry about most. I just would, it just doesn't seem like you can account for it or plan on it outside of the editing room. It seems like the pacing happens exclusively in like experience and luck. You can't, you can't like shoot a movie and, and know how it's going to work in terms of pacing. Yeah, and this and that's the thing with this 
film is that silent running starts out pretty slow and just kind of maintains that it's just like a real kind of change up of a movie never really picks (laughs) up doesn't really do much and it's not thrown very well right so it's just like Mm -hmm. it's hard to get into it beyond just that there were some scenes where like lava watched it with me and like something would happen and she would just like start laughing about how goofy it looked (laughs) and i'd be like stop it it's a serious movie <laughs> yeah, it sort of reminded me. I, I think I said this last week uh, of Robinson Crusoe on Mars, that uh, ad, old Adam West sci-fi movie, which is uh, maybe even campier than this one, and it's a little bit earlier, I think. But uh, yeah, it's that man having to survive alone in space, based on his own wits, um, but but it's just hard to take seriously because because it's so rooted in effects and the effects are so old. Um, it did remind me, another. All, all I'm doing is making comparisons all night long. Uh, the Martian, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's kind of similar, and, and I think they're both botanists. The, yeah. the protagonists are botanists. So. I made a note about that because The Martian is, I think, kind of like an underrated film. I guess they're... Uh, people watched it and I guess they liked it, but it, it's also like very long and maybe they weren't into that, but I yeah, thought that was it just really... kind of disappeared. Like everyone loved it. Everyone saw it and then no one talked about it ever again. Yeah. That was uh, the year that Matt Damon was nominated for best actor, but in a Capri... comedy. Yeah. It was like, it, it counted as a comedy or musical. Uh, I'm talking about that at the Oscars though. And he lost to Leo for the Revenant. Oh um, yeah. And it was that thing of like, those are both movies in which it's about a guy trying to survive very different tones. Uh, you have very different settings and all that, but then the sort of base structure is very similar. Um, but I, you know, I thought it was really well done and, and Matt Damon. It's a crowd pleaser. Yeah. I mean, he, that he makes it back home. That's sort of the big thing, right? It's like, and it's written by, was it, uh, something weird? The author of the book, Andrew Weir, I think. Yes, I, th- I think that's it. And so he's apparently a writer who is very like understands the science more or less. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Andy Weir. And so um, people teach that book in like literature classes for like how to in- incorporate science into literature, that sort of thing. Because um, that's really important. Yeah. Well, for some people it is. Um, <laughs> and so you know, that's a film that's like really kind of competent all the way around. Uh, whereas this one, maybe not so much or sort of like it's understanding of space and science and all that sort of stuff is very much like a movie makers limited understanding of like what might look cool on screen. And that's a yeah. big part of why like um, Bruce Dern's big, uh, epiphany at the end of the movie is like oh yeah plants need sunlight it's like if if you don't know jack shit about botany you know that plants need water and sunlight yeah uh i'm pretty sure if you're eight years old you know that plants need sunlight um yeah that was i've i've forgot about that but you're right that was just a kind of a ridiculous uh element of the script yeah, you forgot about it. It's a major plot point, 
right? Like that's that's kind of shows you how yeah weak the writing is. Yeah, and then he just finds these lights, and it's like, okay, now the robot can take care of it, and it can continue in outer space for no fucking reason at all. Yeah, and it's just, and then he kills himself to avoid prosecution for triple murder, pretty much. And I, I love how his logic seems to be, you know, he sort of accidentally kills the first guy, and he's like, well, if I've already killed one, I might as well kill the other two. Oh, God. It, just that, and what really, like, it, the only emotionally affecting part of the whole movie for me was when he ran over Huey, the one robot, and tried and to fix him. That's just like a random accident. I know, it's so, like, it's just goofy shit. Like, the, he's hauling ass in the little go-kart and just runs over it and he's like i told you to stay in the forest and then those go-karts are badass though they, god this is the coolest special effects thing in the whole movie was just like a go-kart um but uh you know he tries to fix the robot and dewey the other one is like hovering around like all worried because they're best friends and then at the end he just like leaves dewey to take care of the forest and takes huey and like murders him too for no reason like he he's, yeah. he's damaged but he's not like completely broken or anything so that part was yeah, like the, uh, it made me sad i was like oh <laughs> why i thought about that too like oh he just decided to take to take him with him to the to the great unknown uh now they're probably both in hell together <laughs> all robots go to hell i don't i'm pretty sure that's in the bible too yeah yeah probably right uh, but it's just Philemon chapter four. Yeah. I believe that was in the letter to the Galatians or, or whatever. Um, Galatians. Galatians. <laughs> uh, two Corinthians. Um, so yeah, it's just not the, the ending is like very kind of ill-conceived and sort of comes out of nowhere. And part of it is like, the whole time well, after he commits the murders, Lowell's whole thing is like lying to the other people in the spaceships, the, the Berkshires, the, the other ship and uh, lying to them and then like lying to them so he can be alone and then lying to them like, oh, great, I'll see you in six hours. And then immediately he's like, I'm going to blow myself up. And it's it's very sort of like a it's interesting in that you don't you have that sort of remove where you don't understand or you don't really know what his inner workings are, especially at the end where you're like, okay, well, what's he going to do now? And then it shows him nuking himself and the other robot as sort of a foregone conclusion. And I was kind of like, why is he doing this up until the moment for, for where he was like, to be effective, they would have had to provide you a sort of origin story. Like how did this, uh, how did Freeman become interested in, conservation you know he's got this like smoky the bear patch on his suit uh how does he know about this stuff why does he know about it uh why does he care when no one else does but there's no real background so there's no real entry point for us to give a shit yeah it, all of his patches are goofy looking it's like a boy scout spacesuit that he's wearing um, yeah. and he he 
Yeah, and the, he has the Smokey the Bear patch. He sings a little Smokey the Bear song at one point. He's got the thing next to his bed, which is like the conservationist pledge, which is sort of yeah. like something they would give to kids. And it's like given this spot, this priority spot, and he like leans over and just like touches it longingly. Like it's, you don't really get a whole lot about his motivation other than, you know, wanting Forrest back. I guess Forrest were around when he was a kid. Although I guess that's not, I don't know. It's, it's all very kind of muddled. I, I guess maybe the, the best thing we can say or most relevant thing we can say is that this movie, it, it's interesting to note that, it, uh, like we said with Soylent Green, it's interesting that a major Hollywood movie in the 70s could be about such a political, politically charged uh, issue because in the 70s environmentalism was quite a bit less politically charged and much more bipartisan and and that probably has to do with the fact that it was tied to uh, like we were saying earlier nuclear concerns and therefore patriotic concerns whereas climate change is just universal annihilation concerns it's it's if anything, it, it requires a little bit of skepticism uh, of the national mythology. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, like you said, that like that's kind of the, the silver lining, I guess. But it also has a thing of, of where maybe because these movements were uh, not very well developed or at least not very well kind of understood on a kind of mainstream level, we get what we end up with, which is like this homicidal tree hugger. Uh, playing poker with robots as Joan Baez sings about frolicking in a meadow or whatever. And it ends up being like almost comical with how, how much that is emphasized. Although it's an interesting kind of contrast between Joan Baez and the songs about the flowers and the moon or whatever, as was just very kind of like sterile spaceship environment. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that. Like, I don't know if that's intentional, but it's very, it's one of the more interesting parts, I guess. Yeah. Um, I, I, you got to wonder, like, it makes me wonder, I don't know about Bruce Dern's politics, but I wonder kind of how this movie was received. Was it, was it received well as an entertainment? Was it received well as a social critique? Was it received poorly as either one of those things? I'm not really sure uh, how how 1972 audiences kind of looked at this. Yeah, I'm not either. I mean, if it broke even, then I guess not all that many of them. I'm not even at sure it. if that's right. Uh, I feel like I just it just had the budget listed twice. Let me see if I can find it. Silent running. So the budget is a million dollars. Why? It's like the budget is everywhere, but the 
uh, profits are not anywhere. Let me see here. As of August 2020, Rotten Tomatoes reported 68% positive reviews. Uh, I don't see the earnings. Who knows? Just riveting podcast material here. <laughs> uh, I, I got. I don't know. I don't see it anywhere. And I've done an extensive search in the last nine seconds. Yeah, but you know, it it is one of the ones. It's one of those movies that we just kind of, uh, you know, took a flyer on. We're just like, oh, we'll we'll see. We'll we'll just like queue it up and see what happens. Uh, and like we said, it's promising for about the first 15 minutes. And then after that, just kind of fell off. Absolutely. It's, uh, I feel like we, we've, we've sort of run out of our, of our luck. I feel like most times when we just say, Oh, what's this? We don't know about this. Let's take a risk and watch it. It's, uh, it's a pretty good conversation with Soylent Green and uh, uh, well I guess another one was uh, The Last Winter we sort of did that on but that was another sort of bust oh yeah that that uh, fucking thing this was better than that <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah a movie 30 years older um, <laughs> yeah uh, better than Biodome Better than uh, the last winter. Better than worse without a than, paddle. Oh yeah, yeah. But worse than most everything else. Yeah. Worse, um, wor- worse than most everything else. Uh, I will say though, like it, it has a thing where it's it takes on a new meaning today because you have to imagine that you know in the early seventies people weren't really thinking about climate change or most people aren't really thinking about climate change or the possibility of an earth with a very unstable environment. Um, whereas today people are thinking about that much more widely. And so you have this film that's talking about that topic and sort of humans, humankind's response to it. And per usual, the response is we'll just go to space, you know, we'll do stuff up in space and we'll figure it, we'll do something, we'll figure it out. Um, which, as we talked about with like going all the way back to Interstellar, which was like episode three or something, yeah. uh, is not the the solution, right? Like it's it's looking, you know, we used to look at the stars, but now we just look in the dirt. Um, you know, flipping that to being like we used to look at the stars, and now we're paying attention to the dirt. Yeah, and you have to ask yourself, uh, where does this disdain for the dirt come from? Uh, given that it is the only uh, world or context any human being has ever known. Uh, you saying you're too good for the dirt? Yeah, it's uh, uh, you got to wonder how that can even be possible uh, when when it's never been demonstrated that life elsewhere is possible. I don't understand how you can have disdain. Uh, I've used the example before. It's like like a fish hating water. Uh, Like that's the only place you can survive. That's that's really the only context in which you can call a fish a fish. 
similarly, the only context in which you can call a human a human is on Earth. Um, and and any brief stint outside of Earth is is an interesting thing because of the standard and the normalcy associated you know with earth like that's why it's a big deal when astronauts go to space because we're not supposed to you know it's not uh that's not the standard earth is the standard uh, so so how people ex- it's like people exaggerate that sort of achievement of going to the moon or or whatever uh, as like s- some indication that that we don't belong on the earth uh, which seems a, a like a wild speculation to me. Yeah, there was a, a story a couple of weeks ago that was like they had found something that might be like proof that Mars has had has life under its crust or something like that. And I was like, I don't think a story like this about possible life in space or on a on another planet has ever been less important than at this moment. <laughs> Like it's literally yeah. of all the issues we're dealing with right now at this very moment. I don't think anybody like I'm surprised even NASA gives a shit about this story at the moment. Yeah, it's uh, the more I think about it, the more ridiculous it feels. Um, and there's there's some there's something to it psychologically that I can't quite put my finger on. But it reminds me of of of. Uh, what D.H. Lawrence says about American literature, how it's sort of defined. I think he's talking specifically about Walt Whitman, but you can apply it to a lot of different things. Uh, how it's American literature is basically defined by kind of a, an individual, uh, sort of the man on the run. I think I think uh, the critic Leslie Fiedler talks about this too, about uh, American literature is full of men on the run constantly moving um kind of not rooted to a place off to war um i mean that's on some sort of journey or something like that yeah that's cormac mccarthy's whole body of work yeah especially especially i uh i always mention sutry but it's especially like that because it's because it's kind of his huck finn which is, you know, very much a part of that tradition we're talking about. Yeah, and I'm in the middle of the the border trilogy right now. I'm I'm about what like 80 pages into the crossing, um, and that's those books are, from what I can tell so far, are very much about being in transit from one sort of you know uh, loose place to another, like one sort of nebulous existence to another. Um, which is, it's compelling, I guess. It's, it's definitely something we're interested in, um, as, as a, as a, as a, as a, as a society <laughs> and, and, uh, I guess also as a sort of like a, like a collective, you know, humanity is it, people get bored of having a solid place, right? It's like, oh, it doesn't change. Is that chair still there? Like that sort of thing. But to get up and move around and go places. That's sort of where we think the excitement comes from. Yeah. And I think we, we talked about a lot of relevant issues to this, uh, in our discussion of mud, Jeff mm-hmm. Nichols's mud and, and kind of the, the tension between the, uh, 
uh, sort of rooted family life and the river life of adventure. Um, but yeah, I, I think the, the roots, the psychological roots of this feeling of, of disdain for the earth and, uh, and the earth as home is, is, uh, related to that feeling of wanting to constantly be moving. And the earth is just sort of a reminder, um, that we, there's, there's really nowhere to go, um, that isn't the same place. Um, and, and, and some of, some of that may be a result of the fact that we've built a world that is very homogenous and, uh, you know, sort of corporately colonized and, and every town in America looks the same and more and more every town abroad is full of American culture of different, different kinds. Uh, so it, it's almost like, uh, uh, we kind of built this shit world that, from which we long to escape, but we know we can't. Um, and so we have this, maybe there's this like deep resentment. I, I don't know. There's something, something to it. Yeah. We like variety. We like that new shit. We want that new iPhone. <laughs> yeah. Well, this one's got 12 cameras and then the next one's going to have 14. And then eventually it'll just be all cameras. <laughs> Uh, plus uh well we're getting pretty far afield here but uh there was a conspicuous lack of women in uh silent running <laughs> oh yeah yeah and uh it, it it did sort of feel like a a very uh a very if there's a critique in the in the film, it definitely has to do with uh, the sort of ideology being peddled by the man. Yeah, like the future is no place for women. <laughs> That's kind yeah. of the, what a lot of fiction has been saying for a very long time. Um, less so now, I guess, but historically has been the case. Yeah, um, Only sp- I I don't I don't have much to say, more, much more to say other than uh, it was a a mediocre experience in in all facets. Fair, fair assessment. That's what she said. <laughs> Why? <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's just not. I don't know. I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> it's, bu- <laughs> it's it's bumming me out that I don't have anything to say about it because no, we're coming off the back it. of of No Country, which is like all time great yeah. film, and then and then the Conjuring movies, which while they suck, had a lot to talk about. Um, yeah, a lot going on. Whereas this and is just Borat sort of, fucking rules. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then we come to this, and it's just sort of like. <sighs> Yeah, like, let's just let's just start doing movies that kick ass. Uh, uh, life's too short. We're all going to be dead in twenty minutes anyway. Yeah, there you go. Um, I, I hear like police sirens in the distance, so <laughs> that's appropriate. So next week, uh, Saving Silverman, and then the week after that, 
saving Silverman. Joe Dirt. In the week. Road trip. It, it, we Old talked about school. this, but the plan has always been as we get to episode 69, we episode 69 is saving Silverman. And then every yeah. episode after that is also episode 69, saving Silverman <laughs> yes. until the end of time. 69A, 69B. Uh, we're doing saving Silverman episode 69 for sure. Yeah, pencil pencil it in, write it in, in Sharpie. Uh, next week we're gonna we'll just go ahead and start talking about that. We're gonna be doing something that I, I've already seen this and recommended it. Uh, Will hasn't seen it yet. It's the or documentary uh, Tread from 2019. I have no idea who directed it. Um, it's the director I, might not be super duper important. I, I'll find it quickly. But a story of a. Uh, I've been calling it a story of American individualism run amok, uh, among other things, and also like small town paranoia and all these kinds of things. Um, about the story of Marvin Hemeyer, uh, who built a killdozer. Paul Soleil. Paul Solet. Soleil. Yes. Uh, I, I don't know if he's a known quantity. He doesn't have a Wikipedia, so he must be some nobody. Uh, but must be some piece of shit nobody. Some fucking idiot. But Some asshole. Th- this uh, he made a great documentary though. Um, it's so funny looking at the poster. Tread desperate men do desperate things, and and we're gonna. I guess we'll talk a lot about desperation and the different definitions it has for different people. Um, I- I'm looking forward to see what you think about this because as I was watching it, I was like, there were certain scenes where I was like, Will's gonna have a filled day with this. Um, so, uh, I'm looking forward to it then. Yeah. It's, it's, it's compelling to say the very least. And the fact that it's a true story and we have footage of things that are happening, just make it sort of all the more, uh, excellent. I mean, tragic thing that happened. I'm not, I don't want to like minimize that. Um, but I mean, tragic in the sense that maybe not other people do. And we'll talk more about that. Uh, next week but that that's what we're going to be doing i'm looking forward to that one because it's not okay. silent running silent running indeed should watch cool runnings <laughs> yeah uh, that would have been cool and we would have been less silent yeah would have been off and running um but nothing else from me okay cool watch tread <laughs> Uh, watch tread watch dread watch anything else but silent running yeah